And there's me, you know, a semi-ignorant bricklayer from London that's doing all of these things with these amazing people. I'm being met by intelligent entrepreneurs that their intelligence is telling them that they can't do it. It didn't make sense to me. The, the, the biggest way to insult an entrepreneur is to pay them. Well, I've taken people into prison and brothels, so I'm probably the worst person to be asking that. You know, I take them to current level four, yeah. maximum security prison, to meet people that want to change their world. Anytime you can shake someone up, anytime you can talk to someone that's got a different perspective, it will challenge you. And I think we grow when we can understand where someone's coming from. Just because you've seen stood there next to Richard Branson doesn't mean shit unless you frame it and work it and utilize it appropriately. So I realized at the time that there's a real danger when you meet someone's Wikipedia profile or their fancy website or their fancy influencer status. For us to be able to meet people and actually converse with them, that there's real value in that. Well, what if you could get married by the Pope or serenaded by Andrea Bocelli or maybe meet a president or some kind of celebrity? I'm here today with Steve Sims. He's a good friend who's also founder of Blue Fishing or Bluefish the company and Blue Fishing the book, The Art of Making Things Happen. So I'm just going to dive right into it, Steve. Uh, thanks for being here. That's a pleasure to be here, bud. All right, all right. So uh, one of the reasons I wanted to get you here is I'm actually going to make you work. I told you that before the camera started rolling <laughs> and ask you some questions because you're in the business of making dreams come true. And I consider us to be birds of a feather. We've always mm-hmm. had that in common where um, I do it in a different way than you. But if someone were going to describe you uh, to someone else, what would they say about who Steve Sims is? Because I want to hear oh, that dear. perspective first. Do you know, it's... Uh, um if they know me like you, you know, uh, it'd be a case of, oh, you know, this guy's a you know, strange looking fella, but he, he, he makes things happen. Um, that would be the if, if someone knew me. If someone didn't really know me, um, like Forbes called me the real life Wizard of Oz, um, mm. which was, you know, kind of cool. I like that. Um, but uh, it's hard. I'm the guy, if, if I'm asked to introduce myself, I say that I give you more interesting cocktail stories. Uh, and then hopefully that's a hook enough to go, well, how do you do that? Well, I can take what your bucket list is and make it amazing and make you wake up two o'clock in the morning going, wow, I can't believe I did that. Mm-hmm. But that's been the beauty. I've not been very active until the book came out on social. It literally has been word of mouth. You know, we didn't even have a phone number or an email on our website. So it was literally a case of, hey, do you remember I told you that story of when I met Bocelli or, you know, played the piano with Elton John? This guy's the one that did it, and that's how I've been uh, introduced. So it really depends on what the experience it was that I gave you as to how you introduced me to someone else. All right, that makes sense. And I think uh, from a professional perspective, one of the first times we actually, I worked with you, meaning I used your service, I uh, I had the, the Elton John experience. I went to the Oscar party, and... Uh, my wife and I took lots of pictures with a lot of celebrities. We got seated with some really interesting celebs. Um, and it really was a magnificent event. Plus got amazing, amazing photos because everyone was uh, and made themselves super accessible. And that was a great experience. And it got me thinking a lot about creating bucket list experiences, bucket list opportunities. Yep. And that's really a big part of what I want to um, talk to you about. But the next question I had before that is um, what is fascinating you right now? Because you've personally had lots and lots of celebrity experiences yourself. And before we started rolling today, we were just talking about how um, you've changed your life around a lot, your business and what you're doing, what you're focusing on, because in a way it's sort of like you've outgrown it. You've outgrown a little Mm -hmm. bit of who you are, what you do, why you do it, who you do it for. So what what experiences elevate you or amplify you or get you super excited now that you've kind of tasted all that? So in the, uh, should we say the old days, which was like, you know, 
pre-2018, before the book came out, what used to excite me was people challenging me with something that was uh, crazy, like, you know, I want to close down a museum in Florence. I want to go down and see the Titanic. I want to play, you know, tennis with uh, Richard Branson on Necker Island. Those kind of things, they cost a lot of money. They were very exciting. They got it ticked off their bucket list, and it was a challenge for me to do. But I worked with Elton John for eight years, you can only go down so many red carpets before they start getting a bit mundane. You start wondering which bloody event you're actually at. Um, and especially in Hollywood, it's the same people going to all the different ones, whether it be the Grammys or the Oscars. Um, so when the book came out, I was suddenly found myself working with entrepreneurs that were held back by their own mindset, held back by the fact, oh, I couldn't possibly do that. And there's me, you know... Uh, semi-ignorant bricklayer from London that's doing all of these things with these amazing people. And there are, I'm being met by intelligent entrepreneurs that their intelligence is telling them that they can't do it. It didn't make sense to me. So now I'm doing a lot of workshops. I'm speaking literally all over the planet. I'm doing a lot of consulting, doing Facebook stuff, loads of different things, which are shaking up uh, entrepreneurs, getting them uncomfortable and then getting them to discover their unicorn and their ability. And it's all mindset. Um, I've heard before that the superpower of an entrepreneur is their ignorance. You know, the fact that they can't possibly perceive that they're going to fail. And guess what? With that mindset, nine times out of ten, they don't. So that's what's really exciting me now, seeing mortgage brokers, seeing realtors, seeing uh, yacht chart uh, agents, seeing car salesmen, that I'm coaching and consulting at my events that are now suddenly being able to go out beyond where they thought they could. All right. That's awesome. I, th I think, uh, you know, a couple of my clients that I'm working with right now are like uh, really wealthy real estate uh, moguls mm -hmm. or developers or people in financial services, which on the surface doesn't sound interesting, especially when you come from the celebrity world and you yeah. think, oh yeah, if I just arrive at blank, then this, it'll yeah. mean this. You find out that the the best part of elevating people are taking normal people or what are perceived to be normal people and finding and figuring out what their superpowers are, their big passions, and and uh, making dreams come true for them. So I, I really uh, relate to that. So I promised you that I was going <clears> to <throat> put you to work today. Okay. So and I have an I have an idea, and it's a question. So it's almost a working session, but I think it's a great way to get to show people your genius and how you think. And it's super practical as well. So you ready? All right. All right. I don't know so, if I am, but right. let's go. I guarantee you are. <laughs> so right before the, we began, we we're sitting outside and I told you about some of the stuff I'm doing with Dan Sullivan. Yeah. And just to frame our audience. So they know what this is about is, um, I'm on a mission right now to help strategic coach grow to be a $15 trillion GDP in 25 years. So right. Dan wants to celebrate his hundredth birthday, May 7th, 2040 with a $15 trillion economy, which in itself sounds insane. And, you know, Dan has a book and a mission to live to be 156. It's his plan to live to be 156. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I love about him is he thinks in, in terms of a hundred quarters in 25 years and gives himself permission to fail along the way and succeed however that may happen to be. So I really admire that. And we were doing an, uh, an episode <clears throat> not long ago where we decided that that was going to be our mutual project, what he calls the free zone frontier. So right now my quest is to create and, and uh, tools that recruit people into strategic coach to build this economy. And that means finding the right fit folks. So um, I'm going to pose an idea about how I want to do it. And I want to throw it in your bucket because right. what I know you're awesome at is um, a, you built an entire business with referrals mm -hmm. and totally organically, you know how to create elevated bucket list experiences and making impossible things happen but also inspiring people to see the world through a different lens and a different filter. And stop me if I'm inaccurate on any of these things. 
Well, you haven't said stunningly good looking yet, so I'm oh, hoping yeah. that's coming oh, yeah. up as well. You know what, though? You're the guy who started out with this whole I'm a goofy looking guy business. I'm like, I wouldn't have gone there first. <laughs> I, I, you know, I like now you could definitely be Mr. Clean. Um, yeah, I've heard yeah, that. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. But uh, I, you know what? I've never thought of you because you carry so much charisma and character with you. How you look is never entered into a story in my head. I don't right. think of you as being anything more than you are always, in my experience, the most interesting, charismatic guy with more stories than you can imagine in a room. Right. Okay. I hope you heard those are all big compliments. They are massive compliments, <laughs> and especially coming from you and the rooms that I know you're in. So, yeah, yeah that's uh, very humbling. All right, well. So let me continue with the with the framing of this this idea. So what I am going to do, at least one of the plans, is I'm taking artificial intelligence, machine learning, and I'm analyzing all of the people who are part of strategic coach. So building a system for doing that to effectively segment and and then I'm interviewing people in different groups. So there's, um, for example, the signature program, which is sort of the starter, then the 10x, and then Free Zone Frontier. Um, and my goal is to interview the spouses and the children of strategic coach, just as much as the members, but mostly there saying, what is, what are the effects of what's life like because of strategic coach and build stories sure. that attract right fit people. But instead of going down the path of the traditional, let's advertise and market. I want to start by building a amazing referral program and we've got all the team members inside coach. One of the ideas I had is, and I asked Dan this because Dan loves a party more than yeah, anything. He does. Yeah. And he loves a party about Dan, but also <clears throat> I started talking to a couple of members about like, what is a bucket list experience that you would positively love that you could do with Dan in a small group with high performers. And the idea of creating a recruitment system and let's call it a, um, a referral program that would be, we'd make available to maybe 20 ish people um, and do two of those. So the only way to get in is by making referrals <clears throat> who you feel would be great. who you know, would um, help build the $15 trillion economy. And I thought, this would be an interesting conversation for you and me because you have so much experience with referrals, with incentivizing, creating bucket list experiences, and what the results have been. So I'd be curious, what would you do if you were posed with that challenge right now of creating like two extraordinary bucket list opportunities? And you know this audience. You've been around entrepreneurs. Um, like what would inspire you to send people to... Uh, like if you got to design a bucket list experience, something money couldn't buy, but it only would be enriched by right people in the room. What would inspire you? What do you think would inspire this? And how would you put something like that together? So you're working, you're working on two levels there, which are very good. Okay. And so you def, you, you've definitely got the ingredients there. Um, entrepreneurs, the, the, the biggest way to insult an entrepreneur is to pay them. It sounds silly, but the the most gratifying and the greatest ROI is to give them an experience. Okay, so if you're working with an entrepreneur and you go, "Hey, thanks for that," you give them a thousand bucks. That's it. You know, you give them ten thousand bucks. You give it. We're making that. You know, it's nice to get an extra twenty grand, but at the end of the day, you know, you've paid your mortgage for a few months, and you know, maybe a couple of car payments. You, you won't remember that in six months. But if you took that money and created an experience for them, something that you were able to use from your Rolodex, that would be something that would inspire them. So there's two things. One, you've got to feel as though what you're recommending to someone is going to create an impact on their life. And you've already said that you're going to be focusing on the kids and the wife, okay? The beautiful thing about something that Dan does is the bleed effect, what happens to the person that's involved in it trickles down to everyone else around him. That's that's what I like as well. At the moment, 
or in the past, I would spend rich people's money giving them amazing cocktail stories. It would basically look after two or three of them and give them the ability to boast at a party. When you're working with an entrepreneur and you're impacting them on the way that they actually work, conduct, and live, it's now impacting everyone else around them. Right. Okay. So the first thing is you've got to be able to identify is introducing one of your colleagues, one of your friends, one of your associates – Two, strategic coach, going to impact them, okay? And we all know Dan is more credible than credible himself, okay? He is Mr. Credible. I'm a great fan of Dan and Babs and the whole strategic, always have been. So we can very hand on heart say, and this isn't an advert for Dan, it's honestly, in, introducing someone in the strategic is going to benefit them as long as they're the right fit. You've got to have that caveat there. So that's one thing. You know what you're recommending and who you're recommending to is going to work them. Now, for you to be inspired and motivated and invigorated to keep going, to push it further, I would suggest Dan opens up something which has more uh, value than anything in the planet above gold and diamonds, opens up his address book and delves in there to some of his masterminds. You imagine if someone said, hey, you're going to have dinner with, say, no more than 30 other people with Dan and five of his top respected mentors, people that you could never normally be in a room with, you know? It's a one day and a dinner, you know, that kind of thing. That would inspire you. You know, those people, you see, a lot of people will kind of sit there and say, oh, I'd love to have dinner with Richard Branson, okay? Because Richard Branson's made his story known. You know, there are 10, 100, 1,000 people that Dan knows that are leaders of companies and organizations that you've just never heard of that could be as or more impactful than you sitting down and having dinner with Richard Branson. So I'm thinking if Dan Sullivan turned around and went, hey, I'm going to do a dinner party series, you know, for all of those people that actually bring in the people, I'm going to reward you not only by my oath and commitment to look after the people that come into the group, but rather than insult you by giving you a check, I'm going to fly you up to my wherever and we're going to spend a day, closed door, no more than 30 people, and I'm going to bring in personal, committed friends, which are going to workshop with you through the day. And and to use overuse the word 10x, 10x you per hour with a different master. That's that's what I would say would inspire me. All right. And uh, through your lens, like both of us have created dozens, hundreds of experiences dinner experiences and also workshop experiences mm -hmm. but i want to turn to you right now and if you were thinking about the top one two or three uh let's call it a dinner experience and let's talk call it a workshop experience how have you seen them structured where people were like holy crap that was so unique, and um, I haven't seen that happen before. Has there been a structure that you've experienced or seen or a particular uh, story that pops into your head where it was like a holy crap? Um, or did it all well, come down to the, the people that made all the difference versus No, um, it's not. it's not the people. You, you've got to make sure that – You've got to make sure you've got the right people in the room. That's 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 one of the caveats. That's one of the the, the the rules of the ingredients. That's 101. Make sure it's the right crowd in the room. You don't want people trying to let off of each other. You don't want people in there trying to JV the death out of the whole bloody room. So you've got to make sure that the people in the room are there to be a common community in order to grow everybody and not only the one. So the, the people in the room, that's one thing, okay? But the way that I like to uh, do my speakeasies and do my events is to get people uncomfortable. And I've done that by putting them in rooms with, you know, like, say, Tesla. Uh, I spoke to you earlier. I did a mastermind on the power of communication, and I did that in a Reno brothel at the Bunny Ranch. Um, it was an unusual place to have it, but where is the art of communication 
not used more than when people first meet and they're uncomfortable and then they go on to get extremely intimate. Um, I've also held them, uh, and I think you know about this, I take people to prison. You mm-hmm. know, I take them to current level four, yeah. maximum security prison, to meet people that want to change their world. Now, if you can meet people that want to change their life in an environment that's heavily suppressed, like a maximum security prison, then when you go home, you haven't got any excuses. Because how many times does the entrepreneur sit there and go, oh, well, I can't do that, and all my flows and my my bots and my, my, um, my funnel systems and my Facebook ads? We excuse ourselves to death. So if we can put ourselves in an environment where there are no excuses, um, but there's every reason for it not to work, but it does, then you're out of excuses. So I like to put people in a room that's different to where they usually be. I like to also get behind the curtain. Like I've taken people into the Tesla plant. I've taken people into the Gigafactory, Gower Studios, um, Tiffany. I've taken people into environments and gone, hey, this is what it looks like. You know, you're, you're, you're so, kind of, oh, my God, I never could. This is how it's done. And so I like to shake people up. I like to get them uncomfortable. I like to uh, have them in an uncomfortable situation. So if you're not in an uncomfortable room, make them uncomfortable. I was in a room once, um, I think it was about a year ago, where they uh, everyone sits down in the room. And usually there's this, without realizing it, there's a natural selection. When you walk into a room, you go and sit where you want to sit, where you feel most comfortable. Either your back's to the window or you're looking out over the window because you will naturally select where you want to sit. So the guy had us all sit down. We all did our natural selection without realizing we're doing it. We're doing it. You know, I may see three or four people like you that I know and love. And I go, oh, I'm going to go and sit over there because I say, that's the cool kid table. You know, I'm over here. Straight away, he made every second or third person stand up. Okay. And then this was very uncomfortable. He made us change with another person. So we had to identify another person in the room that was also stood up. And then we were going to sit in that, that person's seat, and they were going to sit in our person. So it was a change-up, but here's where it got very uncomfortable. We had to dance our way over there, and it had to take 20 seconds. So you couldn't do it quickly, but we had to dance our way over there. And here was the other thing. You couldn't repeat how someone else had danced over there. So by the third time, you know, you're doing pizzas or you're doing your your little crab dance or whatever. By the time the sixth person, the seventh person, they're having to make up dance moves that have never been done before, nor should ever be done again. But it was a very uncomfortable situation, especially for me, having a dance in public. Half of the room is sitting down. You're the only one dancing over there. But it got us uncovered and it broke down a lot of barriers. And that was the whole premise behind it. So if you're not in a room to make you uncomfortable, make the room uncomfortable. Because it's not from success that we grow. It's from that uncomfortable failing kind of like, what are we doing now? Where our greatest growth comes from. I love that. I love that. That's brilliant. And um, I, so right away, here's where I went with that is um, let's – you know, like what is too uncomfortable and too much of a stretch and uh, where you really get into people's, uh, let's say their their rules, their, whether it's religious rules or their perception of uh, values conflicts. Uh, I just wanted to spend a moment in there. What what do you what do you say about that? Well, I've taken people into prison and brothels, so I'm probably the worst person to be asking that. Um, I took uh, it was thirty, I think it was thirty two people. I took to the Bunny Ranch brothel, and I've never heard a bus be so quiet as we were pulling up to a brothel. The downside was also that about sixty percent of the people on the bus were women, and this guy actually looked at me and he tapped me on the shoulder and he said. I know you like to stretch things. This is either going to go real well or real south fast. And we walked into the room. No one had said a word. Now, within about 20 minutes of being there, everyone found it funny. Everyone was lighting up and there was a lot out of it. But a lot of people got back onto the bus at the end of the day going, I would never in my life ever have thought I'd have walked into a brothel. 
Um, and funny enough, I still now know a few of those people that have kept in touch with some of the people in the in the place because they've got different conversations, different communication, different perspectives. But I'm not sure. I and maybe this is risking too much. I'm not sure you can go too far. Anytime you can shake someone up, anytime you can talk to someone that's got a different perspective, a different point of view, a different value system. Now, you may end up having a long conversation with that person and you may not agree with them, but it will challenge you. And I think we grow when we can understand where someone's coming from, what their pain points are, what their trend, what their um, what their uh, ancestry has taught them or made them think or force them to believe in. If you can understand how people work, yeah. I think it grows you. You may totally disagree with that point of view, but just by listening to it, you can pick up on little bits and go, Ah, that makes sense. And I think, uh, I don't think there is a point that you can make people too uncomfortable. As long as, I think this must be the guiding rule, as long as the point of them becoming uncomfortable is for their benefit. Yeah. You know, if it's for your benefit to laugh at them, yeah. then no, yeah, you should abusive. never that's do abusive. it. Yeah. yeah, that is abusive. <laughs> but if anything you can do to them benefits them, then I think then the rule of how uncomfortable is uncomfortable never exists. That's great. Yeah, one of the things that um, I'm going to step up a, a level here that I, when you were talking about how to create the room uncomfortable, um, so uh, uh, one thing that I've seen work exceptionally well and people feel very taken care of is when <clears throat> they are asked a lot of personal questions and they feel like they're understood and then matchmaking in a room. Um, so imagine, let's say there's 30 people. In this case, um, one thing that Peter Diamandis did at Abundance 360 this last time that was really smart is he partnered up with uh, Eben Pagan and, and uh, Morgan who wrote some code that as long as you answered some questions, it would give you a compatibility chart and give you 10 people a day that you should network with. And the first batch came out about a week ahead of time. And uh, it turns out, interestingly, number one or number two on my list was Peter because he was, he was in the pool. Um, but then it went down and I ended up meeting some really great people. So I'm curious uh, what kind of matchmaking you've done in the past that has added a tremendous amount of value in a room or in a workshop environment. And what have you done to make that happen? Do you have any insights? Yeah. Um, I go the less is more route. Okay. Um, and it's funny because my speakeasies, and this isn't going to be a promotion on them, so I'll leave it as, as vague as that. Um, whenever I promote a speakeasy, I promote the city, the date, and the button to purchase, which is $2,000. And so literally it will say, and I can say this one because by the time this comes out, it would have gone. My next Speakeasy in Vegas is in Vegas, and it's called Speakeasy LV, Speakeasy Las Vegas. It's on the 20th and the uh, 21st and the 22nd, and it's $2,000. And there's a button to purchase. And so it's got no other information. It doesn't tell you where you're going to be. It doesn't tell you whereabouts in Vegas the thing's held. It doesn't take it. And we've done them in San Francisco, Miami, New York. We've done them all over the place. And we never tell anybody anything than that. Now, once they pay, they literally get an email from one of our team. And it says, you've just paid $2,000 and you know nothing about what you're involved in. Why did you do that? And we start a conversation. For one, the payment uh, validates that they, they're open. You know, now a lot of it, um, to be boastful, is off of the credibility of me. Of course, okay? of course. You are uh, framed as being that guy already. There's a yeah. narrative that goes on in a brand of elevated experiences. So exactly. So works. So okay. you, build, you build your credibility up there. Um, but I had, a, I had a guy that actually joined up for Vegas and he paid his $2,000. And he said, just to let you know, there's another conference in Vegas at the same time 
that's $199 that I know when the speakers are on, I know where it is, I know what my seat group would be, and I've been oohing and ahhing about spending $200 on that, and I spent $2,000 and I know nothing. You know, so it gets a certain kind of mentality in the room when you actually then I don't I don't believe the payment is the end of the process. Mm-hmm. I actually use it as the first filter. OK, can you afford two grand to come and hang with me and my friends for two days? Well, that's out the window. Yes, you can. Now let's get into the value proposition. And the first question, why did you do that? Well, I've heard about some of the stories of what you've been up to. That's great, but that's past stories. I never repeat it. You know, I can talk about fantastic rooms, but why are you doing this? What's the core reason? What's the benefit? Now, I did one in Hollywood, and it was over Oscar weekend, and I had a lot of people coming at me going, oh, it's because I want to meet celebrities. Oh, I want to get photographed. I want this. Or That's selfish. Now, I want you to be selfish, but I want you to be selfish in the fact that what I'm going to be able to teach you and the people I'm going to be able to introduce you to can impact your business, your life, and your future. I want that kind of selfish attitude. I don't want the, hey, I can get my arm around so-and-so and it can be on Instagram by Friday. You know, that that's a show-off. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a field of dreams, build it, and they will come. Let's be blunt, nine times out of ten, it doesn't. Just because you're seen stood there next to Richard Branson doesn't mean shit unless you frame it and work it and utilize it appropriately. So we actually ended up during the Hollywood one giving so many people back that money, you know. And I remember going to Claire and saying, well, you know, we, we just got 14 sales uh, yesterday. And she was like, yeah, it was, it was a good day, you know. Made 28 grand just as a, you know, putting out the, out the newsletter on that. And I said, great, 10 of those have to be refunded. She's like, you're going to refund? I said, absolutely. They're not coming. Why? Because it's not right. Mm-hmm. And so we had to get rid of those people. And you want to, anyone that's doing an event, the first goal is to fill up the event. But the goal above that is to fill it up correctly. Yep. Because otherwise you'll do one event and you'll never do an event again. And we know of so many events that have, have done one event and never been able to follow it because it's been the wrong people in there. So I'm a great believer that you want the mindset to be correct. The mindset's correct by challenging them about why they're doing it. You paid two grand. Why did you do that? And not be derogatory, but be very challenging on why they did it. And then you get the, well, I'm looking for this. I'm looking for this. And they end up dictating what they want to learn from this event. I actually had so many people going, well, and I can't use the, actually I can because this won't come out. I had people going, well, I want to know how to scale my business socially. You know, I want to be able to understand our social platforms the way it should go. If I've got some intellectual property, how can I actually go beyond the people I can speak to? Because at the end of the day, you can only speak to a certain amount of people a day Unless you've got some kind of automation online, uh, some kind of scalability within your business. So everything that we've done in Vegas is based on social, branding, scalability, online courses, how to get your voice, your message amplified into a, a wide enough scope where people can actually pay, you're getting more money, but you're reaching a wider audience. That's what it is. And basically by doing it that way, reverse engineering a normal event, they're telling me what I need to bring to the table to make them happy they turned up. Right on. That's good. That's good. So um, <clears throat> I want to shift this a little bit now towards think about elevated bucket list experiences. And you already sort of answered through your lens. What you'd like is for Dan to open up his Rolodex and yeah. it'd be a people move for you. That's what you would like more than anything. So let's talk. Ex- well, that's more valuable. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm a selfish son of a bitch that, you know, giving me, offering me a 10 grand carrot, you know, that's 10 grand, you know, but offering me insightful wisdoms by from people that I would never normally be able to meet, that's 10 times 10 grand. Um, so yeah, that, that's more valuable to me. Great. So I am going to go down the, the experience path for a mm-hmm. moment. 
So I'm going to tell you a story about something that I did um, not long ago. And so here's the way it began. I, I've been a Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger fan forever. Okay. And I regard them as being like uh, being able to see the Rolling Stones and the Beatles in concert at the same time before they die. Right. Yeah. They're old dudes. Yeah, yeah. And last year I went to the annual event. And I had an okay time minus five things. Okay. So I went alone on purpose because I literally did it spur of the moment. I bought a B share. I got my passes, blah, blah, blah. And the I'm, I'm from the Midwest and I, it, it's a nice place to be from. I really love the vibe of the West coast now. So I went back to Omaha and I'm like, yep, it's definitely middle America. You know, it was like, it didn't resonate with me, but more importantly, I got a kind of a yucky hotel. There wasn't much left because I didn't have a lot of time. Um, transportation was almost impossible. Food wasn't that great. It was hard to find a good glass of wine. And I wasn't surrounded by people I really felt elevated by. You know, it was like I I, I wasn't there with, with the crew. And this past year, I was actually at a coach meeting and I had this inspiration of, wow. I want to go again, but I really want to make it awesome. So I immediately contacted a friend of mine who's a master sommelier who tra- who's traveled with me in the past. I thought, okay, I got wine covered. And I said, do you know any chefs in Omaha? She says, I can definitely hook us up. Mm-hmm. So that was great. Are the dates available? Yes, they are. Awesome. We um, reserved a couple mansions. I got transportation. And then... Um, I thought, well, how could I make this a totally elevated experience that would be easy and take, get rid of all the resistance? So, you know, getting picked up at the airport the two day, nights before, going, getting delivered to a nice mansion, great food, great wine waiting for you, and a hand-picked group of really cool people who are interested in the culture of Buffett and Munger, the mindset of those guys and the food, and then... Um, so we'd have a, a mastermind workshop the day before and then a great dinner, great wine. Then the day of, we'd have transport to the facility, spend our time there, and then get picked up, brought back for more great food and wine, and then delivered at the airport the next morning. So I made a little 10-minute video. I sent it out to a small group, and bam, it was filled up in less than 24 hours. And I was like, why haven't I been doing this all my life, right? And that's <laughs> I was thinking, man... Um, and you and I kind of connected somewhere in between there. And, uh, one of the things I swore to myself is I'm going to make a point of creating selfish bucket list experiences for me now yeah. and seeing if the right fit people show up. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And that's part of where I wanted to get to the now, which is looking back, we talked about the experience itself, the workshop side and what would light brighten you up. What's an experience that money can't easily buy, especially with the right people in the room and the right wisdom. So think through your past history of really cool experiences or ones that you'd want to do again if the right people were in the room. Like what would elevate you? And I want you to be selfish right now. Oh, yeah. So I'm I'm the guy that's done everything from, from Walt Walk the basements of the Pentagon to the to the back roads of uh, the Vatican. So right. um, I've I've become very spoiled with the people I've been able to hang around with and the the, the rooms I've been involved in. Um, to me now, my greatest selfish pleasures are spending time with with viewpoints. Um, I love having conversations um you know i've i've done some wonderful things but now i like to be able to talk to people about wonderful things uh if i was to look at something that was my bucket list it would literally like your warren buffett uh example it would be to find someone that i could communicate with um in a conducive environment and when i say conducive environment uh, we all know the Dan Sullivan experience that I set up with Journey. When Dan Sullivan contacted me, his first question, his first request was that he wanted to meet the rock band Journey backstage. 
and because he wanted to tell him a story about how impactful they were to his life. Mm. When you meet someone in an environment where they have just performed and then they've come off stage, they're in that kind of wild moment, that kind of no man's land mm. where they're getting off of the euphoria of being yelled at for the last two hours. Mm-hmm. And now they've got to go back to their room shower off and either get on a tour bus and go and do it again or go home and put the kettle on. You know, it's a weird mindset. It's not the time that you should ever meet anyone. Right on. Okay. I am so with you on that. I'm so with you. And you get so many people, oh, I want to meet so-and-so backstage. No, you don't. No, you absolutely do not. Okay. You want to meet them before the show or you want to meet him in an environment that's completely away from it, like playing golf or something, something you know, gardening or learning to play the piano, whatever. But you never want to meet someone backstage after a show. Worst possible time. Um, so straight away, we were able to know that with Dan, reconfigure it, and we actually got Dan to, to sing on stage with, with uh, Journey, and he's now deemed as the shortest lead singer of the rock band Journey. <laughs> But he performed with them in, on stage. And yeah, Joe Polish and a bunch of our uh, friends were there to actually see it happen. That was his bucket list. So you first of all got to identify what, what you want to do in the most conducive environment of it. So if you're going to meet Warren Buffett or Richard Branson or Elon Musk, you don't want it be, to be in an auditorium with 2,000 other people because it's not personal. But how powerful would it be to have a eight-minute conversation with Warren Buffett over an old-fashioned in a quiet environment? Can you imagine if someone said, you're going to have that? So I'm thinking that with the people that Dan knows, small, like speed date. You know, and we're spitballing it now, but you asked me to be selfish. Yeah, yeah. If I could peek in a Dan's uh, Rolodex and select eight people and then with a good old-fashioned in my hand, and I'm a picky little bastard. It's got to be a good old-fashioned. So like your Somalia... Yeah, it's going to be a smoky old-fashioned. It's got to yeah. be a smoky. So I'm on about a... a just you wanted my bucket list, so here, here for shit it is. A good bartender gives me a barrel-aged smoked old-fashioned, and then I go through eight tables and I get to speed date question eight incredible people, and then when the buzzer gets up, I pick up my old-fashioned, what's left of it, and I go to the next person. And I get told ahead of time who these are going to be because I handpicked them, and then at the end of the 30 minutes or one hour, I've met six masterminds that I can sit down in front of Sarah Blakely and go, okay, what was your biggest challenge and how did you overcome it? You know, go to the next person that, I don't know, um, Dan Bazarian. You know, you, you focused on social, you know, so much before you had a product. Why did you do that? You know, go to Warren Buffett and go, what should people be looking at? You know, go to Elon Musk. What problems out there that we need to be focusing on solving? You know, just be able to have my my list up there. Go to Dan and go, hey, why do you think you're going to live this long? And what are you doing to make it happen? Being able to ask one or two questions tops to each expert on a speed day environment. That's what would be my bucket list. All right. That that I know uh, is very possible. So it is possible. That's yeah. why I said it. Yeah, yeah. And with Dan and with you, damn hell yeah, that'd be. And who wouldn't want to do that? Just imagine if you could ask someone that you were in awe of an impactful question, and and use it as a speed date. And literally, the buzzer goes. You get up. You move to the next one. Mm-hmm. And to know also that you you outright earned the place at the table on top of it. Um, in this case, you know, the, the goal, our central goal in this particular case. And again, I'm what, what I think is important is this is and isn't about Dan necessarily. Cause what I wanted to have is a learning experience, which is I want to really decode 
the incentivized referral world and creating experiences that money can't buy that go beyond the the shallow. Mm-hmm. And even when you talked about um, never getting someone off stage, um, I have a rule, which is I never want to meet a man on his own battleground. Yeah. In, in positive or negative. Yeah. And I also uh, feel the same way about after a performance because it there you're just meet at that point in an obstacle towards just what you really want is I just want to slow down and rest. Absolutely. But it's about being in a truly elevated environment in an amplified environment. And part of what makes that are, are right fit people. And uh, I love the drink side of it as well. That's one of the reasons why I've made a point of traveling with my master Psalm friend, Laura. She's, incredible at that she's an amazing storyteller and she elevates every environment she's in um i was talking to a friend of mine this um this weekend who lives so his name is Stuart emery he's one of the founders of est okay Okay? really interesting guy so landmark forum of course came out of that and he was one of the three people who made that that happen and he's 79 years old He's got the most incredible home. It's right across. It's on Belvedere Island, across from Sausalito. Through his front window is the Golden Gate Bridge and the city. You just can't. It's like one of those, yeah, money can buy its uh, views, (laughs) but money can barely buy it these days. (laughs) And then um, we... Uh, we're hanging out, had breakfast, and he makes great coffee, and and uh, and he he's a foodie. And I was asking him some of these questions, and in a way, he doesn't have any bucket list items necessarily. He he's he's in a different phase of his life. Oh, and by the way, Mike Rowe, the Dirty Jobs guy, is yeah. his next door neighbor. Wow, okay. okay, so he's there all the time. So it'll just give you an idea of the neighborhood. So anyway, I said, so what's on your bucket list? Um, what's something that would wake you up if you knew it was coming three to six months from now and just get you excited every single day leading up to that? And he thought for a moment, he said, what I want is to have dinner with six or eight chefs, all of them being chefs, right? So like Michelin rated. Um, And he told me this incredible story. So his wife... Joni worked for um, uh, famous director Scorsese mm-hmm. and actually worked on uh, the Godfather movies. So fascinating, lots of experience exposure. And they were at Sergio, uh, uh, the composer's home. Uh, he, he does all of um, the, he used to do spaghetti Western um, movies, soundtracks, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Sergio, I, I forget his last name right now. Uh, Marconi, something like that. It's Mare something or other. Um, anyway, works with Tarantino. A lot of his soundtracks and stuff. So he's at their ho- his house. This is back probably in the 70s. Um, and seated at one of the tables was Sergio and a very, very well-known writer who wrote for all the tabloids and the Hollywood stuff. And then... Um, some other very, very famous wealthy person. And also at the time, the most famous European prostitute. And, uh, uh, Stuart was in another table again, highly elevated people. And he was watching one person in particular who was, who helped get him there. And he said afterwards, he says, one of the things I love doing is just watching the interaction. It was obvious. You all loved each other, respected each other. And even though you're in completely different businesses and industries, you know, what was going on there? And he turned to Stuart and he said, you know, um, we all appreciate and admire each other because we're all the best at what we do in the businesses we were in. That makes sense. And, and at that moment, the aha experience I had is, um, how do you create an experience where, you find your superpower, you narrow it down in such a way that you are recognized and appreciated for your unique best in class thing. 
and experience that kind of a table experience. So again, I tell you that story because my goal is just to maybe get a reaction, a response, or a thought from you there. Do you have any, uh, any So thoughts? there's, um, do you, I don't know if you, do you know John Levy? Yeah, of course. So yeah, um, I've been to a bunch of his experiences. Yeah, so and, he yeah. does a similar kind of thing where he has these dinners and he invites incredible people and no one's allowed to say what they actually do. Or uh, who they are, just yeah. for the record. Yeah, yeah. They uh-huh. can't. They can't mention anything like that. And usually, he does it around a cooking experience, doesn't he? So yeah. you end up cooking a meal together, and you're allowed to know that my name's Mike and my name's Steve. And the whole thing is, you're like, oh, what do you do? And you're not allowed to say. So you're allowed to ask, yeah, where do you come from? And, and that's the same kind of experience. That's a valuable event that you can't create anywhere else. And if you forced created it it wouldn't give you the euphoria aha moment that you get from it when the revelation comes along that i'm a prostitute i'm a writer i'm a i i invented this you know and that's the kind of oh wow you know the downside now with today's world is that we actually meet people's Wikipedia profile mm-hmm. before we meet them. Yeah. And we we come along and we're like, oh, you're going to meet so-and-so. And you're like, oh, he's done that. And you get flustered. And you then meet the person. You're kind of, oh, it's, oh, it's a pleasure to meet. And you're, you've got your P's and Q's about you and you're kind of dancing. And you're not being you. And the person that's meeting you is kind of like, well, this person's a prick. You know, you can't even just relax. You know, he's like flapping all over the place. So you don't actually get to meet. It's almost like a, an interview situation when you're interviewing for a job and then you go away with an artificial um, idea of the person. So when you meet someone that you don't know or you're meeting someone that you want to meet but you don't know is that person, you're kind of more relaxed. You're like, oh, so hurt you. I'm Mike. What do you do? Well, I can't tell you until later. Mm-hmm. You bond and you get to meet the person. And I'm going to take this even further and give you a true example of that. So I got contacted 10 years ago and the Australian crowd, they contacted me and they said, we want to go to Sir Elton John's Oscar party. And I was working for them, mm-hmm. you know, even back then, um, unofficially by just getting tables and selling seats. And they wanted a table and they were going to bring some of our top people. Now, I didn't really care what that top people were. I didn't even care what industry they were in. I was just helping out Elton John's people by selling a table. So I turned up on the Saturday, and the, the party is always on a Sunday, as you know, and I gave them all the tickets. Now, these boys, they were drunk, okay? And in the corner was this older fella looking very dapper. Mm-hmm, and all these mm-hmm. Australian guys yep. were completely slammed. I gave him the tickets. I'm thinking to myself, they're probably going to forget the tickets. So I said to him, do you know, I'm going to put them with the front desk and have them delivered to your room. Yeah. And they were like, oh, yeah, great, great. You're going to kick around for a beer? Now, I was riding a bike as usual, so I said, no, I'm on the bike, no alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And they were like, oh, well, we've got a couple of other people coming. They want to meet you. And I'm like, great. I'm going to stand over here in the corner. Because, you know, these guys were already elevated. They were already having a good time. I wasn't up to that level, and I didn't want to be drinking. I stood in the corner with this older fella, okay? And he looked very dapper. He looked like an extra out of Downton Abbey, okay? And I said to him, hey, how you doing? He's like, oh, it's a pleasure to meet you. And he had these rose-tinted glasses, and you're probably already guessing who any of it is. So I started chatting with the guy. And he was very eloquent. He said, so where are you from? And I said, well, I'm from England. He said, what are you doing? I said, well, you know, I give people what they need. And kept it very, you know, blank like that. I said, what do you do? Oh, I've been invited along as a friend of theirs. I'm like, oh, good. Are you looking forward to it? Have you been to the event before? No, I haven't. Oh, what are you looking to get at? We started communicating and doing this thing weirdly called have a conversation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I left him. Uh, The other people that were supposed to come up, they didn't make it. I left. He went to the party. Then we stayed in contact. And then I went to an event in New York. And I can say the the guy's name that did the event. It was Joe Polish, his Genius Network annual event. And it was at the Marriott in New York. That's how far back it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was... uh, That's probably the first time you and I met then. Was it? I bet it was the Marriott. It was the we jokingly called it a Death Star, uh-huh. um, yeah, because it was one of the 
horriblest bloody places, but it had this massive ballroom in Times Square. And I was there, and I'm sat at this table, and I knew Joe, and I was friends of Joe, and I was glad to come along and be in this environment of challenging people to me. And I'm at this table with, you know, like eight other people that I didn't know who they were. And this guy walks up behind me and rubs my head. <coughs> now, I'm not a small fella. And being and anyone that's listening to this on a podcast and not seeing the video or whatever, you know, I'm a big, bald fella with, you know, tattoos and earrings and stuff. You don't kind of do that, you know, unless you're really friendly with me. So, you know, and you've obviously got that. So these guys are kind of looking a bit weird because this guy's touched my head. I'm thinking, who the bloody hell do I know here that's comfortable enough to do that and not risk a slap? And I turned around and it was Jay Abraham. Oh, yeah. So the guy that I had met at this drunken Australian group was Jay and I knew Jay. I didn't know the Jay Abraham. Yeah, course, I'd just uh-huh. met this dapper, cool, intellectual, articulate guy called Jay. Seemed a cool cat. Started helping him out with a few things. Knew nothing about him. But because of that, I got to know him. Him. When he turns up at this event, he sees me, rubs my head. I'm like, dude, what are you doing here? I said, you know, Joe. And he's like... Yeah. And I'm like, oh, you know, are you in this kind of world? And he's like, yeah. And I said, oh, so what are you doing? He said, well, I've got a few things to do here, but we will hang out later on. I'm like, hey, cool, you know. And he walks off and I turn back around to my table and my entire table were like a deer in headlights. And I I don't know which one of it was, but they turned around and went, you know, Jay Abraham. That's funny. And I said, well, Obviously not. I know Jay, you know. I know we both love whiskey, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know. He's more of an Anglophile than I am. Um, And so we're always talking about England and Paris. But I had got to meet Jay before I got to meet the Jay Abraham profile speaker. And I left that table, went over to Jay, and I said, Jay, I thought I knew you. but And we'd known each other for like a couple of years. I said, but obviously I don't because there's a there's a bunch of guys over there like doing headlights. I said, you know, who are you? What are you doing? He went, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. And I remember him saying at the time, we've already met. Now I'll introduce you to what I do. Right. And I realized then that we had become friends because I hadn't I hadn't come across Jay as the big intellect that he is and the big profile and in the world of entrepreneurs you know both me and you know that if 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 they don't know jay then they're pretty much not at the top of the tree because everyone from from branson tony robbins anyone you can think of that's an influencer that you admire has more than likely probably worked with jay Mm -hmm. um but i didn't know that so I realized at the time that there's a real danger when you meet someone's Wikipedia profile or their fancy website or their fancy influencer status. There's a real danger in meeting them. So the John Levy and this dinner series, for us to be able to meet people and actually converse with them, that there's real value in that. It's, um, so I have just one tiny tangent to go down which i completely agree and that's a great distinction first of all about meeting the person versus meeting the legend or yeah um and i was invited to a levy dinner experience as well and of course you're not told anything it took place i won't give away the person's place because she's very private but a exceptionally wealthy now a very very good friend of mine's home right in santa monica it was a highly elevated experience and inside there, same thing. You're only allowed to say your first name. They lay down the rules. We're cooking. Well, so the people who were in the room and I had, I didn't even recognize them. It was Logan Paul. Mm-hmm. who at the time when I finally was talking to him, I'm like, yeah, what do you, you know, I just thought he was some little punk, you know, YouTube guy. He was making $20 million a month selling t-shirts and stuff uh, off of his merch, you know? And I'm like, 
what the hell? You know, why don't I know this guy? I took a picture, sent it to my son, and my son replied, giant douche. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know. Like, oh, yeah, he's so, done a good job of that. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. He's a, But, you know, unbelievable He lives guy. around the corner from me now. Oh, okay, <laughs> but, yeah. You know. So the other one was Apollo Robbins, is the world world's famous yeah. pickpocket guy, really entertaining. And, of course, when he revealed who he was, he had um, he had two people's phones in his pocket and their keys and a watch. <laughs> it was amazing. And then um, uh, a couple Hollywood writers and an Olympic athlete. But I, it was it was then my eyes were really open to what a truly elevated experience would be like. And everyone was so excited. But it was nice to meet the people first. And, and clearly, again, he finds people with charisma and personality he who he thinks would fit in, first of all. But... Um, yeah, extraordinary. And then uh, one other thing, just along this line, before I ask you one more big question, is this weekend my wife and I got invited to Tim Draper's house in Knob Hill, and you know, and I again I didn't recognize most of the people there. I wish I would have, but it was not the kind of place where you wear a name tag. But it's more billionaires per square <laughs> foot than you can imagine. But very fascinating, and and I again I love these these sorts of experiences. So. Um, now I'm going to flip the script a little bit and ask you this question, which is, you know, we've known each other now. I'm guessing, you know, we've probably gone deep starting maybe four or five years ago. We've, I, I'm pretty sure I met you at Joe's the first time. So we have that in common. I'm guessing maybe 10 years ago. Right. Um, is there something I can do to help make your dreams come true? Um, oh God. Um, so for a start, anyone that knows me knows that I am a very dull person. Um, oh, yeah. I live, I live up in the, the, the hills because no one can be anywhere near me. And I'll tell you what I've been most excited about over the past couple of months. I've bought an old house and I've been planting trees around it. And I've been putting these, um, uh, these uh, fence nets that look like vines. Mm, so they give mm -hmm. you your privacy. And then when you put the trees on it, they obviously fill out. But going out to um, garden centers and picking out what ficuses I want has been the most exciting part of my life. And it's been funny, you know, because one minute I'll be talking to someone at the Vatican while Googling fake ficus hedges, which have really been turning me on. So I'm actually a very dull person. But... Something that I like that I think we're coming down to the hidden trend within this conversation is you talk about the elevated experience and both of us have talked about it is the reveal. Mm -hmm. You know, my speakeasies, people come to it. They don't know what they're going to get. You go to John Levy's dinner. You don't know who's going to be there. The The event you went to at Knob Hill, you know, oh, the, the people that were there is the reveal. I think today... And people have actually said this to me. They've said to me, have I ever failed to get anything a client ever asked for? And I've always been able to turn around and say, I've never failed because I've never given them what they asked for. I've given them what they needed, lusted and desired for. And usually there are two different things. The, the guy that wanted to meet Journey, I could have met, given it. He would have been so upset if I'd have given him what he asked for. Okay. So you've got to ask people now, why is that important? And get to the core, get to the dream, get to the desire, and then give them that. There's the real ROI in that. So I'm a great believer it's the reveal. And I think in this whole conversation, trying to find out what really gets someone turned on is to first understand what motivates them, what pushes them forward, what invigorates them, what entices them, what engages them and then allow that to be revealed at the end of them accomplishing it. So I think while we've come at it from different angles and different stories in here, it's the reveal that all of your hard work has taken you to a new level that you never thought possible, and in your words, elevating the experience by giving them a reveal. For me, being in a room with people that challenge me to think differently, um, look at things differently, like you, you... You paid me the compliment of, my, of saying about my character. You know, you walk into a room and everyone knows that you've walked in. I know you've walked into a room before I've seen you because the mood changes, because of the way you are so elevated with your 
charisma, your sh- the weirdest shoes. You know, if, if someone doesn't know this guy, meet Mike and look at his feet. There's usually some kind of god-awful, garish, illuminated, flashing color shoes going on, <laughs> and they pale to your character and charm. You know, they're the quietest part of you once people get to know you. So I like to be in a room where people are doing things differently. And that's what, that's my bucket list. It would bother me to not be in a room where I wasn't challenged. And that's why I love being in Joe's, Strategics, hanging around with Dan. Dan always will quietly Mm. say something that is just like a silent smack in the head. I love that. I love that. So does that mean you don't have a uh, specific ask other than I, obviously I'm going to tell everyone to head on over to stevesims.com, learn more about you, but <laughs> is there any way I can elevate um, you and what you're doing or uh, make your dreams come true? Anything pop into your head? Do you know, it's funny two, you know, two or three years ago when I was asked if I wanted to write the book um, and they offered me a bunch of money, my first thought was, great, I can buy another motorbike and me and a wife mm-hmm. can go to Japan. And I never thought it would be anything. Now my excitement is getting people to think differently. So I don't have an ask. Uh, my ask, I suppose, would be to ask people to get uncomfortable. Do something today that makes makes you uncomfortable. Whether it come to jail with me, whether it be to go and uh, force yourself into a group that challenges you, whether it be to, just to try an appetizer that sounds weird and freaky on a menu that you don't understand. Just try and do something that makes you uncomfortable. Right. Well, one of those uncomfortable things is just hanging out with Steve soon. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Awesome, man. Well, I love you. Appreciate you. Thanks for coming down. Look after yourself, pal. Bye. All right. Bye.